Let me add a new disclaimer. Everything that I've talked about is complete rubbish. Don't listen to a word that I've said. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Assume I know nothing. <laughs> Might have to start the show with that quote. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Floorcast, the NFT podcast. Uh, usually we host this show with about two or three people whose names begin with C to talk you through the biggest things that have happened in the NFT world on a weekly basis. This week, however, we've got a special guest. But before I introduce them, I do have a co-host with me. And yes, of course, their name does begin with C. Christine, co-founder of Floor, how are you? Hi, Pat. I'm good. How are you? Very well. Uh, seeing too much of each other this week, virtually. Yeah, it's been nice. Although I do wonder when you're going to legally change your name to a C name. Have you decided which one you have chosen? I don't think Ket would go down Ket. too well. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> Rolls okay. off your tongue, Ket. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. That that might be um, slightly controversial. Um, hmm. uh, we had 30 centimeters of snow overnight in Toronto. What? Yeah, yeah, I was out. Originally, I was like, that's a lot. But then I also realized I don't know. That's like a foot, right? Yeah, a like foot. A, okay. Yeah, there we go. Okay. American metrics. It's not, yeah. it's not too bad, is it? Yeah. As someone who is joining us who's not going to have much snow for much longer. Uh, excited to welcome our third ever interviewee on the uh, Floorcast, Silly Tuna, a.k.a. Alex Amsel. How are you? I'm good. We have no snow. It's sunny here in Sheffield, I should say. Sheffield, UK, it's normally cold and now it's cold, but there's no snow, so it's fine. That's amazing. And is it is it Silly Tuna, a.k.a. Alex Amsel, or is it Alex Amsel, a.k.a. Silly Tuna? Is you know what? No one's supposed to know my surname. You've broken the cardinal saying, like the big rule right at the very start. So, note, note to self, I'm bleep off. out, second name. Uh, it, it is just, it's Silly Tuna. And you can do, yeah, whether there's an AKA, I don't, I don't really care. <laughs> and you're about to travel Brazil for a month. So you're re leaving rainy England for, for hot tropics, right? Yeah. Although, like a, a lot of places at the moment, the weather is a bit bizarre in Brazil. So it is hot right now, but the, we're off to Sao Paulo and Rio, amongst other places. And the beaches around, or within range of Sao Paulo, got flooded uh, recently really, really badly. So mm. uh, not so good for a lot of people there. What's mm. taking you to Brazil? Work, pleasure? Uh, no, this is, we're off there. For, my, my partner's from Brazil, from Sao mm. Paulo, and we're off there for a wedding in Rio, which will be my first time in Rio, which will be great. That'll uh, be fun. And then we're also going to go down to sort of the Argentinian border to oh, wow. uh, see the big waterfall. And lots of steak then? I am looking forward to steak. In fact, I think we have a steak restaurant booked the day we arrive in Brazil. Oh, okay. Fair enough. You're, you're well prepped. Why don't you tell uh, the audience a bit more about yourself and what you're up to for those that are uninitiated to Sidachina? So I have been uh, in the game industry uh, for nearly 30 years. Uh, I ran a small studio. Uh, we did lots and lots of sort of contract work in the early days, going way back to the Commodore Amiga, for those who remember that. Did loads of uh, mobile work. This is in the Java days of mobile, not in the iPhone days. Uh, then we strategically left mobile just as the iPhone came out, which obviously was a fantastic idea. Did, had worked on console titles, Game Boy titles, loads of film licenses, uh, made some great games, some terrible games. I think I have one of the worst games ever in a top 10 list in YouTube somewhere. <laughs> Similarly, I have, I've worked on games like Alien Hominid and we made a game called Euphoria, uh, with a, a couple of other people, um, that was an Apple award winner. So I really have done everything. Uh, it's something special to be in a top 10 worst games list. But then when you get paid like two and a half grand to make a game on PlayStation, <laughs> what, what do you expect? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's when you're desperate for the money. Um, I've been in crypto for 10 years. 
And that came about because someone wanted to buy Eufloria, our indie game, uh, with Bitcoin. And I sort of thought, this is really interesting. And I'd heard about it before and successfully not mined it in 2009 or 2010 with our office machines. Yeah, another good decision, like leaving, not doing iPhone stuff. Fantastic. But uh, I realized very quickly that crypto in general, rather than Bitcoin specifically, and the technology was uh, going to be a big, big game changer in the same way as the web browsers had changed things when I was a student. And I basically vowed to dive in and not leave until I had made good. Um, and in that time, I've given infamous advice. So this is how you trust me. I met Vitaly Ruterin because he interviewed me and I met him a bit later. And at a conference, my first ever Bitcoin conference with about 200 people in London, uh, he said, oh yeah, I left uni early because you know I want to spend more time on Bitcoin magazine and learning Bitcoin. And he was, I think he was 19 or 20 now. I said, you should probably go back to university, finish your degree because it'd be really useful, like just in case this doesn't work out. Clearly that was the best <laughs> advice Vitaly needed. Thankfully he never held it against me and he's still a lovely chap. Um, but genuinely in that time, I have invested a lot in a lot of projects. I've created projects. Uh, I sold one of the first NFT companies back in 2018. Um, and I've been writing about NFTs and speaking about them since before they were, were called that. Um, and I did the first ever, uh, presentation at the game developers conference in San Francisco about NFTs. Um, again, before they'd become a big deal. And these days I continue to work on some games. Uh, and I also continue to. Uh, invest and have my own NFT company. Amazing. I mean, that, we could break that down into like a whole podcast series in itself, right? Uh, just a load of waffle. <laughs> well, yeah, but like, uh, I would like to do an entire 45 minute interview on the top 10 worst game that, that featured. Like, that would be great. The way we break these interviews down is kind of uh, talking about the past, the present and the future of our, of our guests. And you kind of gave a little bit of color as to your past, which is, you know, so, so broad, but you know, tell us a bit more about that moment where you kind the, the kind of click because I remember the, the moment that it clicked for me uh, for like you know being explained by my brother uh, who's a computer science master's student like how blockchains work and he was explaining the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum to me and I was like that just makes sense. Um, what was the kind of uh, light bulb moment for you after you'd been offered some Bitcoin to buy you, Floria? Um- I genuinely don't know what the light bulb moment was for that, um, because that was a gradual thing. I was looking at Bitcoin trading websites in, tw- in late 2012, and I think Bitcoin was $19 or something at the time. And I was like, I could put a few grand into this and like take a punt. Um, cause like, you know, like a lot of people didn't have a, uh, didn't have a pension and I'd, be, I'd done all right in my time, but I'd, I'd had, um, yeah, let's say some fun during um, the recession in 2008, 2009, which had cost me a lot of money, which is quite frustrating. But I'd done well since then. I thought I could just put a bit into Bitcoin and like, that's just an investment. And that's all I was thinking of. And then my first Bitcoin was March, I think, 2013. And I bought, I think I bought £250 worth or maybe £100 worth. And it was $49, probably from blockchain.info, it was called at the time, or Speedy Bitcoin, like UK company. I was like, oh my God, it's like $49. And I was flying to New Zealand at that time because I do some work over there still. And then I got there and I think it had gone up to $60 or $70. Then I was trading and then went up to $1,000 and then it collapsed and I lost loads of money. And I, just, I went through that process, but I, I don't think any of that was really my, the excitable bits. Like it was a trade, it was purely a trading thing at that point. The exciting bit was listening to a guy called, forgive me, I can't remember his surname. It's a guy called Mike who, worked on the Bitcoin Java implementation, I think. And he did talks about smart contracts. 
I didn't quite get them, but I knew there was something interesting there. And this is spring 2013 still. And although I can't remember the exact point, it sort of suddenly sunk in at some point that, that su- like early that summer when, st- when I was st- talking about it with some friends about what smart contracts could do. And I was like, this is programmable money. And it's not just money, it's programmable anything that has value. That changes everything. Like, I wasn't thinking about regulation or the difficult bits at that point. I'm just thinking as a software engineer and as a product person, if you could have programmable stuff of value where you're just trusting a program to hold you know, potentially billions of dollars, what does that mean for the world? Uh, and we're still exploring that. I mean, obviously, we've seen good and bad as a result of all this. But there was something about the notion of smart contracts where once that clicks, it's great. Now, these days, it's easy because like, you've, so, you've got Ethereum and so many examples of it. But most people don't know that Bitcoin was written to have smart contracts right at the start. And in fact, almost all those opcodes are just disabled because they were overcom- it was overcomplicated for what Bitcoin was and too risky. But Bitcoin was always designed to do this. Uh, all the opcodes are there to do some basic contracts, essentially, yeah, what we call smart contracts. But until you've seen it being used, you have to go through a visionary process and actually try and think about what you would do yourself. And it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't easy. It definitely wasn't easy. And how did that turn into kind of your interest in Web3 and NFTs? You mentioned you were like exploring NFTs before they were even called non-fungible tokens. Like how did that progression take place? So when Ethereum came out, um, and I've been, fo- I've been an investor in it and I've been following in it, following it all the whole time. And obviously I knew Vitalik, which helped as well. And I've been designing some projects around smart contracts with a, f- a friend of mine. We had a little startup. It didn't go anywhere, but the ideas were good. Genuinely were actually pretty good. And um, they were basically DAO type ideas. And then I didn't really play with Ethereum during its development because it was so, so hard to set up your Mac to, to use it. So I was just, I just thought I'll wait till it's a bit more stable. I think it, it came out of August 2015. Can't remember exactly. I think it sounds about right. 2015 yeah. sounds about right. And I think probably October, November, I'd have to go and check my records. I started programming some smart contracts and learning Solidity. And I, I'm an old assembler person. So for me, Solidity was actually quite easy. I was like, I think I could do Magic the Gathering cards on a blockchain. Like, I wrote code, which was Magic the Gathering cards, including all of their data, except for the image, just the links to the image. Like, because Ethereum was very cheap right then, like at that mm. point. And I were, so I wrote this code just as a temp, as a prototype. Never, I never released it. It was just my own prototype. It was basically an NFT. Um, I, d- I hadn't finished all the transfer code in fairness, but I had all the data and stuff there. And I worked out for, I think, a $20,000. Uh, I could have put, put every single Magic the Gathering card on chain, including all their data. And that was like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, and then I spoke with a couple of friends and we actually set up like a company to start exploring it all. Uh, called Ownage. Uh, that was partly with the guy, um, a guy who had created Neopets as well, who's a fun but crazy person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, yeah, we had game backgrounds and it was, it was brilliant. It was a really exciting time. It didn't quite work for us because we were so, so early. There was no tech. Uh, like every, t- everywhere you, everything you did, you were basically held up because the technology didn't work or there was no tooling or, there were no users. There was there were just problems everywhere. We were just far, far too early. And considering we were far too early, we tried to do too much. We tried to do everything from the NFT contracts to work out what an NFT was to the open sea bits of it to making it work within games through SDKs. All things that are not even solved now. Right. Bits of them are solved. Like we have open sea and they they've been around for a few years and we have some SDKs and we have some APIs and so you could there's enough around now to do most of it not very well, I would say. Some bits much better than others, but at the time we tried to do everything. Uh, 
that was just a bad idea. But it was really exciting and it meant that you were you were looking at all the things you needed to make NFTs work within games, within marketing, within brands, within physicals. We were looking at it in 2016. At the end of 2015, actually, we were looking at it. So we didn't have all the answers, but we knew a lot of the questions and we did know the direction things needed to go in. What that did is even though we, it didn't quite work for us, we did sell out, but it didn't really work out because we got shut down a few months later, stupidly. Um, but it meant that we already had the vision of the future. And when it comes to investing or advising or, or doing new things, we were years ahead of everyone else, or almost everyone else. I would say there were one or two others who still do stuff who were doing it then. So yeah, it's interesting. I definitely want to jump on that point again when we get to the present part, because I think that's really interesting in terms of some of the questions you asked and why some of those have been answered and haven't been answered in the present. But just before that, you know, you talked about Ethereum launching, meeting Vitalik. Either side of the Ethereum launch, there were two quite devastating events that you were not part of, but like uh, in and around the ecosystem in a big way. One being Mt. Gox prior to the Ethereum launch and two being the DAO hack uh, on Ethereum that forced the um, the forced the fork, and uh, we obviously had uh, another Ethereum chain, which obviously hasn't done that well since. But do you want to talk us through your your feelings during those two events? I know it's not very NFT centric, but um, I, I've definitely got a reason for asking because I want to know like how you maintained your enthusiasm after being part of like such two de- <laughs> two such devastating events. I think Mount Gox was twenty fourteen, spring twenty fourteen. So firstly, I had lost a lot of, I'd lost almost everything actually before, just before, like a few months before Mt. Gox and another exchange hack, which was pretty devastating. <laughs> um, um, so I was supposed to have, for example, a uh, hundred bitcoins worth of Ethereum. So we we're doing 200,000 Ether. Uh, I lost almost all of that in another exchange. I, could, I literally couldn't get it out. I've been, I was trying to get it out. I was the first person to discover a problem and long story short, never got the money back. Uh, so I lost almost all my Bitcoin. Fortunately, I had a little bit left, which went into Ethereum, and then I managed to magnify that very well. Um, and I also bought a 25 Bitcoin Kasaskius coin, which I deliberately bought and still have, so that I couldn't spend it at the time on on trading to make sure. So it was, it was good. Um, so so I was prepared for the Mt. event in that I'd already lost most of mine and I'd already moved into that mode of, right, don't do that again. I traded the Mt. Gox thing um, and I lost, actually but I traded it knowing what I was doing. We all knew the Mt. Gox was in trouble. I had some, I won't say inside information, but I, I did have enough information after it, after it was in trouble to know that it was really just a lot of ineptness that was going on there. Um, so I had some trans, some transparency, but I had lots of friends that got caught out. But mostly actually my friends got caught out in this other exchange hack that we were in. And you know, I know one of them lost everything and they've never been able to, like they've come back into it here and there, but they've never been able to come back into it because they would have been extremely wealthy and they weren't purely as a result of a hack and someone else being essentially fraudulent, which we also lost money in. So I learned the lessons of hacks and exchange and keep holding money on exchanges. Don't do it. I learned the lessons of being defrauded out of my money by multiple parties who were just irresponsible or, or fraudsters. I learned all those in 2013, 2014. And I d- at one point I did spend a month of not looking at anything and just programming game. But after that, I kept, sort of came back into it slowly. When you know you go through these things, and it serves you extremely well for three or four years later, where you see all the sa- you just see the same things happen again, and you can see the same mistakes. You can see the same fraudsters and people defrauding others without realizing that's what they're doing. You can see it all a mile off. Yeah, um, and you, you you still get caught a bit, but are you surprised that like nearly ten years later, right? Like when you're talking about Mount Cox, that was 2014. Like 
not the same thing, but a very similar situation happened in the industry in 2022, 23 of like people losing their savings because they're keeping it on exchange. Like, why haven't we learned? Like, what has to change? Like, can we ever get to that point or? I mean, it's a difficult one. Um, Like we all have to leave money in exchanges sometimes. Um, Mm. If we're talking FTX, it appears that there may have been deals done which required certain funds to be, keep their money on FTX. And I don't think that's going to happen again. I am surprised at the extent of FTX. I'm genuinely really surprised. I think it's a bit different, actually. Yes, all these things happen. Yes, people still get defrauded. I think sometimes when things are good, no one wants to hear bad news. They don't want Mm. to hear that's too good to be true. The DeFi stuff is super interesting and I still really like it. But I could see people lending assets based on assets that had no liquidity and were very volatile. You can't mm. value those assets at 100% of, floor of their base value. You have to value right. them at like 5 or 10%. And what seems to happen, and we sort of start to realise this was happening, all these companies were offering these returns and you knew that wasn't sustainable. I didn't go lend through any of those because I knew it wasn't sustainable. I knew it was going to come crashing down. It was, it was obvious. They always do. I just didn't realize the extent of lending to each other that was going on based off assets that had, like they, they were basically built on air. There was always some value for a certain liquidity, but the rest of it was air. And it might, it was, a lot of it was well-meaning, but there were definitely people who were doing it who knew exactly what was going on and knew that it wasn't sustainable. They were taking their money and then they were going to run. And my annoyance here is actually not so much with these, with the companies that are doing stuff, FTX or Parks, clearly they were fraudulent. My annoyance is with regulators. And the thing that's been most disappointing is that regulators, even now, are getting things completely wrong. They are not helping consumers. They're basically punishing p- people who are creative and innovative. They're not punishing the fraudsters who just move offshore because they can't punish them. And if you make the regulations tricky and awkward and grey and they start suing people left, right and centre or taking them to court and fining them, as has been happening by, in America in particular, everyone will stay offshore and they'll just use those because the people will just go where the money and the profits are. And they were supposed to be regulating FTX, for example. Like, yeah. no, they should be making damn sure that companies are allowed to innovate and do stuff, whether it's sell entities or anything else. But if you're holding on to funds, that should not, they should not, they basically should be completely segregated and reviewed and they should be able to prosecute people. It should all be completely, completely clear. They've never managed to do this. All they've actually done is create rules which push people offshore or to have entities offshore that have access to those funds. They don't, they don't get looked at properly. It's not like with gambling companies where they're looked at very, very closely, even offshore. They've just got it completely wrong. And all they do, all they've done is either put too much regulation in, like in New York, so consumers just can't use stuff or have to go pretend they live elsewhere, or they don't have the regulation right. So we just lose all our money anyway. Regulation should be protecting consumers from these massive fraudsters and these easy losses, not constantly prosecuting companies just trying to be innovative or selling a few NFTs or whatever. It's stupid. It's helping no one except fraudsters. That annoys me because we should not be here at this point in time. But it doesn't surprise me that people get stuck into it. It doesn't surprise me that we still have fraudsters. It doesn't surprise me that people keep money on exchanges. Mm. I've, I've learned not to as far as I can avoid it. I absolutely minimize it. But being your own bank is really tough. We just need trustworthy exchanges like Coin. Yeah, in fairness, tr- places like Coinbase, you could trust. But yeah. Binance, we've seen with BNB, it's not quite so clear. Binance, I'm not saying they're not trustworthy, but I would trust my money to be held on Coinbase a lot more, subject to their regulatory issues. Whereas I wouldn't trust it on some of the smaller exchanges. And just quickly, I mentioned the the DAO hack because you were you were actually writing about some of the the vulnerabilities in that, and when it happened, it was a it's a fairly big deal in the Ethereum community. Fairly, 
<laughs> so something to people who came in after that won't know is that at that point in time, we all knew each other. It was a tiny community. Um, people just will not believe how small. So just one Discord, one NFT Discord, uh, was po- one a, a half-season NFT Discord was bigger than the Ethereum community, <laughs> isn't it? Like at that time. That's how small it was. We were all on the Reddit Ethereum um, room. That was it. That's where we did all, everything, basically. We all knew each other. We'd all discuss stuff. I would get on a Skype call with with Gavin Woods. Uh, obviously, then went on to do Polkadot and discuss security issues. Like, we just knew each other. That's how we dealt with it. We knew the people who were doing the DAO. Like, I knew some of them quite well. I was, and I fell out with them over it at the time um, because I was quite critical. So if you imagine the community is much smaller than the, the Yacht Club community, right? BAYC. So Board A Yacht Club. It was much smaller than that. Now imagine that everything you believe in is that. Like, that's it. That's the entire future of NFTs. It's all down to Board Ape Yacht Club. And something's gone wrong at Board Ape Yacht Club. It's going to be a, such an like incredible pressure on everyone. Developers, community, business people, lawyers. And that's what happened. So I was around then. And I was one of the people basically saying, talking to Emin, Emin Gunsura. I was talking to him a lot about it because he was quite involved as well. And we were basically saying there's loads of security issues here. Don't launch this thing because it's just going to fall apart. They launched it anyway. They rushed it out and they didn't realize the damage they were doing. Um, and they did massive damage. They, they, I mean, it was just incredible the damage that they actually did for probably a couple of years. At the same time, because the community was small, it meant that Ethereum had got heavily battle tested and had gone wrong badly, or rather a project had gone wrong badly on Ethereum. So everyone realized they had to take security seriously. They realized solidity needed to be documented far better and have much, a lot more security features, a lot more security tooling. We also saw a community split off to form Ethereum Classic, which was very financially motivated. I'm not naming names, so I've been, I have named them before. It was very financially motivated in the background, which people don't realize. There were people making huge amounts of money off it. But in fairness, it was a valid chain, and it moved a community away from the main Ethereum community, who were, I would say, were more awkward and very focused on certain ideals that were not held by the rest of us. So what you actually got was a hugely beneficial effect from what was a very, very stressful time. Ethereum, the Ethereum community became was positive and forward thinking. The classic community went its own way. I have no comment pro or, like, pro or con them. They're just a different community and they had different views on things. And we learned a lot about security uh, and we had time to fix it. If it were happened now, it'd be very bad, but you know, it is what it was. It was a great time uh, in, in many ways. People speculated on that loads as well. Like that's the thing with crypto. Anytime these things happen, people speculate on it. But it is what it is. Just to go forward, um, uh, four years, five years. Um, you're quite early into NFTs to the point that you've you've written about them before they're even called that. Um, you're quite early into a, a bunch of the communities, and the big thing that happened that is most publicised about you and NFTs is your Alien Punk sale, which was the second or third most expensive NFT sale in 2021. Why don't you talk the, the listenership through that entire journey? And then, you know, what was that feeling like when you saw the the kind of crazy figures that it that it went for in the end? Were you just like, wow, this is nuts. Did it, how long did it set it, did it take to set in, etc.? No, it's a bit of a weird one. I, I was always into NFTs, but I was so focused on dev. Um, like I am now, actually, that I'm not following too much about what goes on. So I wasn't an early CryptoPunk buyer. I knew all about them and I had it on the list, like just go and grab some because like, I'm really into this shit. You know, you're so busy doing a product and a startup, like it's stressful and it's hard work and you need to be able to turn off. So I actually got my CryptoPunks at the start of that year, 2020, uh, early, start of 2021, I think it was. 
And I bought quite a lot at the time, most of which I've sold now. Um, and I bought the Alien a little later for actually a decent amount of money. And I did buy it very specifically for one of two things, to sell uh, at an auction or to do something super interesting with. And sell at an auction was the winner. So I spent a lot on it. I made a profit. Actually, I didn't want to sell it really at that time, but I'd already agreed to do it. I would have sold it a month or two later because the market changed. I would have got, it would have got double uh, a couple of months later. But I had made my money elsewhere already, uh, in fairness. And so for me, it was a bit of a bonus. And I, and I, I, I said I would basically spend a lot of the proceeds just on projects. And that's exactly what I've done. Basically, all of that was spent on other NFTs and investments. And I'm fine with that. That's the profit margin. So it was wildly exciting. Uh, really, really amazing suit with Sotheby's. And it was brilliant to get exposure. I just find it quite funny that you spend all this time in crypto, you're just doing all this stuff, some of which actually, ma- like some of it matters. I did some stuff <laughs> around the DAO, which mattered. I stopped Ethereum like going wrong with one of the things I did in the DAO. But the thing that everyone remembers is I sold something. It's like, yeah, well, I didn't create that. It wasn't anything smart. It was a smart, tra- it was a smart trade. Like that was one of my better trades. But like, there wasn't, it, there wasn't creativity involved with that. It was just interesting. And I, and I wanted to do it. Like the decision to, to, to go through with it from start to finish to buy and then sell. It came down to the fact I had an opportunity. My partner said, if you don't take this, like we sat there eating pizza, deciding whether to spend you know, a seven figure sum on an NFT. And I'd, I'd already had, an, had the price, priced NFT a couple of years before that. So I had experience here, but not that much. And she said, if you don't do this, you'll regret it because someone else will do it who doesn't deserve in inverted commas the, to, to do this and, and you'll do it right. And you'll just do, do it for the community. So I did. And you'll spend it back on the community. And I have. And that's why I did it. And that's why it was exciting. It was just to go through that experience. Um, yeah, so it was great. Yeah, it sounds like a great experience. You you mentioned that when you bought it, you thought, okay, I'm either going to sell it at an auction or do something interesting. Do you do you know what the something interesting was that didn't end up winning out? Or were you like, I just wanted this in my back back pocket to to play with one day? Back pocket thing, because I, mm. I'd wanted to do some stuff before. So I had bought for, I think it was 120-ish ETH. Baus, who was a game character for Neon District a few years before, a couple of years before. That mm. at the time was the most expensive NFT at $20,000 or something, which is crazy. It was a crazy amount of money. And, and it's not really panned out because, you know, blockade of sort of kept p- 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 pivoting. But, uh, and I'd also owned another expensive NFT, an expensive Axie Infinity character, which we sold, made a profit on. Then it sold for masses more, basically. Um, but again, we all profited and you can't complain about profits. And I'd always wanted to do something around around these big NFT characters in games. And I'd still like to do something like that. Um, and that, you know, the Alien was another one where I could, you know, potentially do something depending on the licenses. But I didn't have anything specific in mind. It's just, you just always keep these things open. So <laughs> you, don't, you don't know what people have come up with. That's the nice thing about NFTs. Let's move on to the present um, and, and what you're doing right now and what your thoughts are on the, the ecosystem right now. In the kind of past section, you mentioned that you and colleagues were building things, exploring things, asking all these questions in 2015, 16, before there was a big community. Why have some of the questions that you were asking then not been answered so far? And what do you think has been answered in a, in a good way so far? So why is actually very easy. One, because it's hard. Two, lack of regulatory clarity. And pretty much everything comes to one of those two things. Um, the regulatory clarity is particularly relevant to wallets and payments and things associated with that. So, for example, I'm having to have a conversation with lawyers because we want to be able to pay NFT owners for doing something. And the lawyers are going, yeah, but you don't know who they are. I'm like, oh, so we're going to have to pay to KYC them. And went, that's not going to work either because you don't know they own the wallet. They might have just shared the key. That sort of thing is absolutely ridiculous. Why can I not just pay someone money? 
I can pay someone cash. I don't have to know who they are. I don't have to have them prove their ID and then send it to a government. Um, and I'm not, by the way, I'm not a libertarian in any way whatsoever. Uh, I'm actually quite left-wing and or centrist. But I think it's ridiculous. I can't just pay a crypto address without worrying that I'm going to get done in in the courts. It's insane. But that makes it really difficult for anyone doing any form of wallet, doing any form of innovative payments, doing any form of payment full stop. It's ridiculous. And it's only, that's just got worse in the last year or so. Far worse. Like we may have to pay, pay people via Coinbase, as in they may have to have a Coinbase account. That's not the worst thing in the world, but surely that's just replacing banks with other banks mm. where we know in those banks, i.e. exchanges, they've lost users' money. Like that's a, it's a huge backward step. It's insane. So regulation is a real issue. Um, there's no clarity around selling NFTs or anything. It's very different in different territories. Yeah, although we didn't foresee all these aspects, it's why some of these haven't been resolved. That includes why people keep having things stolen from their wallets because it's hard to protect stuff when you don't have any clarity about what you can even offer users. It's getting better. We've got better tooling, but it's taken longer than we thought. The other reason is that it's hard. Technically hard, that is. Technically hard, partly because until really quite recently, really the last year or so, the tooling just wasn't any good. Now we have tools like Hardhat, which are just getting better and better. We have APIs, the likes of Alchemy or whoever. They're getting better and better. We have more standards, um, even just from the bit struggling a little bit. We have more standards around NFTs and so on and fungible tokens. We have a lot of the DeFi stuff is getting more mature and more reliable to convert tokens between one and another and for payments. We're getting better user experiences because we've widened the developer base. So there's more of a focus on user experience now. We've got more brands involved, which helps with publicity. So there's all these different things that come into it. But when we started, we didn't have the tooling. We didn't know what the regulation was. Like We probably just sort of ignored it, I suspect. We didn't have any big brands involved. We didn't even know how much, the, how big the problem was going to be around people having stuff stolen from wallets uh, and frauds happening on social media or Discord. We didn't have any of that. We didn't know because we didn't know about it or it was just too hard. But it's, it's a process. And that process has taken, I would say, realistically, we were working on it in 2016. There was a lot of people doing stuff in 2016, 2017. So we're now in 2023. And I would say we're now, we know what the problems are. We know what some of the solutions are. Um, regulation is still terrible and messy. We're probably five, four or five years away from things really settling down. But things are moving, things are moving nicely and fast. So you know, through the next two years, where I think they're going to be quite a down market anyway, the next two years is really a big focus on tech, making sure people don't get stolen from them, making sure that you can buy with your credit card through MoonPay or Stripe, making sure that those companies also offer you a wallet, but make it easy for you, making sure that we understand who we can pay and how, even if it is through Coinbase. So. It's all happening, but it's going to be another two years of really focusing on the core and then a few years of focusing on products. And as that's happening, where are you spending your energy? Like, what are you excited about? What do you want to be building? Uh, so I'm building uh, two things uh, within, the, within the crypto space anyway. So within the crypto space, uh, I have uh, a project called Soulcast, which is uh, essentially a gamified way to um, create customizable NFTs. So... The way I talk about it now is to liken it to when you're in an RPG and you're in your game and you've got a character and you've got all the clothes and the sword mm -hmm. and stuff in your backpack and you can customize what your character looks like and what they're wearing and their eyes and the hair and their shoes. Um, what we're doing is we're taking that and we're generalizing it. So an artist or a brand could release a character and then they could also release lots of cosmetics for them. Uh, and you could decorate that up in your web browser. But it could also be a sneaker that you can decorate up in the same way that people paint up their sneakers or a backpack, spaceship. And then we allow 
remixing, because the point about NFTs is they're supposed to be interoperable. But actually, we see some forms of interoperability, such as secondary marketplaces that are actually a form of interoperability. We don't see NFTs being used with other NFTs, because actually it's quite hard. Mm. But a lot of NFTs are visual, they're artistic. So what we're designing is a platform where you are specifically allowed to remix one NFT with another, where, for example, if you've released through our, some cosmetics through our platform, then and Nike have released some sneakers through our platform, I'm not saying they are, it'd be lovely if they did, um, then you could go and use your Fuocious stickers and textures uh, on a Nike sneaker. And that maybe that could be represented then in AR or VR or in a game as well. But fundamentally, you're able to you know, create your own unique look on your sneaker, your backpack, your character, by mixing Fuocious and Nike uh, and Fuckrender and whichever different artists and brand you want. Now, we've still got some controls for what you can and cannot do. So brands and owners can retain some control over what can mix with what. But that idea of remixing NFTs is really, really cool. And we've just got a gamified way to keep costs down and to make it fun to trade as well. And it's all Ethereum layer one. So that's that's heavy in production right now. It's, it started off as a small project, ended up as a big project. Uh, and we're entirely focused on just the product at the moment. Um, and that's going to be keep, be going for most of the year. Uh, and then hopefully we'll get some stuff out there. My other project uh, is, my other main crypto-related project is a game. I have had a game called Clodhoppers in development for a few years. Uh, and Clodhoppers is a uh, stop-motion animated, uh, so our models are made out of clay and then animated, uh, brawler uh, for PC, Mac, and hopefully console. Play it with up to eight players online or offline. And what we're doing with that is our first commercialization is going to be or we think is going to be, I say it's not 100% confirmed, uh, releasing some NFTs. But we're not going to do what everyone else does. Um, so the first thing is we actually have a game. Uh, it's pretty mature. It's not commercially released, but you can find it on Steam. You, uh, we released a version on Steam in, uh, the last version was October last year, called Clot Hoppers, if you search for it. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a beta build. We play with players on our Discord, which updates every couple of weeks, or every few weeks. So please come to our Discord if you uh, want to actually play it more often. That's... I'm going to emphasize it now, discord.gg forward slash claymatic. We'll share that because we let everyone play as we discuss the game in public and stuff. We just, we just enjoy it. But our approach, because gamers hate NFTs currently, uh, sadly, uh, our approach is, is to see the NFT audience as our backers. So we're essentially going to run a reward-based campaign, very much like Kickstarter, where our NFT buyers will be buying the same rewards you would get on Kickstarter at a similar prices to you would pay on Kickstarter. The reason for that is when we then talk to the games press about it at a future date, they can't complain about almost any aspects of it because it's the same pricing, it's the same mechanics, uh, it's just we're happening to use uh, an NFT to represent the ownership of the tier. So if you buy the lowest tier, it'll probably only cost you $20 or $30 and it'll be the same as that $20 or $30 would be on a Kickstarter campaign. You get the game you may get a special thing like an audio soundtrack or credit or whatever. And each tier you rank up, it's, it's going to be quite similar. The difference being, because we've got characters that are re- they're really super cool characters that can be customized, the higher tiers will include characters. So most NFT buyers are used to going and buying, I'll buy three PFPs or five PFPs. We will do that as part of our tier structure. So you spend a certain amount, you'll get one PFP. Spend a certain amount, you get five PFPs. But what you're actually buying is the backer card, the backer NFT. Mm-hmm. So tier one, there'll be no characters, you get the game and a couple of other bits. And that'll be unlimited, so you're just spending $20 to get something. Tier two will be the one character, and maybe a credits. Tier two will be three characters and a soundtrack, and, or a poster, or whatever. 
then what we're actually going to do is you will always keep your backer NFT or you can trade it. If your backer NFT let you qualified you for a character, you would claim the character as another NFT. So we've got our, we've got a backer set of NFTs and then we've got, you can use those to claim your character NFTs, both of which can be traded. The character NFTs you can then just use directly within the game and you own all the cosmetics that are on that character. So you can use them as within your game, within the game as well, but on other characters in the game. So that becomes your inventory, a bit like a loot bag. And meanwhile, the backer NFT gives you exclusive access to the Discord, like a premium version, like premium version of the game, um, other, other items in your inventory. So again, it acts like a loot bag. Um, so you could trade it and you lose all that inventory and stuff. And then uh, we may also make that uh, NFT into a character in its own right. So everyone will get another character. And then we, if we want to then do more NFTs, again, we can release them with the use of those backer cards. So that's how we can release more stuff. So we keep giving yeah. them bits of value like that. Because they're our backers. Um, yeah. we're, we're even looking at, if the, only if the game was successful enough, because otherwise the market doesn't work. We're even looking at things such as being able to have the backers sell the NFT to regular gamers within the game for game currency. Hmm. So okay. if you own a really cool character, or it would be really nice if you could then just say, uh, if someone pays me five gold coins, you too can own this character, not as an NFT. You can't trade it or anything, but you can use it within the game. Same kind mm. of thing that you get on all games with cosmetics, but instead of us doing the sale, it's the owners of the, it's the backer owners or the character owners that do the sale and they get the proceeds. They'll get the, they'll get the gold coins back, which they can use within the game again. Uh, or we may do some merchandise, some merchant deal with UKYC to allow you to earn some actual revenue from that. It's um, interesting because so, yeah. it seems like you're like separating what is traditionally like a utility or access token from like a PFP where a lot of PFP collections try to like bundle them together where it's like, you know, you have both, you have the utility and access and you're constantly trying to build that into the ecosystem where, yeah, that's cool. The, the, the real split actually is between NFT owners and non-NFT owners because it's mm. a very hard conversation. There is definitely going to be conflict between NFT people and gamers. And yeah. we need to try and keep the communities as separate as possible. Now, one of the ways we can do that is if, if we have a backer campaign, refer to all as backer collectibles and so on, we've only marketed that to NFT people. And the, all the crypto economic side is completely outside of the game. Like there's no reference to it anywhere within Steam. Mm. Uh, if you want to use, even use your NFT characters, you're probably going to have to download the web, the version from the web, not Steam, because we don't want to, you know, incur Steam's wrath. But Steam owners will, will play against people who own these characters or who get some benefits. So it's almost like a cross-platform play. Yeah. Um, and that keeps the communities entirely separate. You just see someone's a backer, like, cause you might see they've got a shiny profile or a special character that you can't get hold of. And meanwhile, for the NFT owners, like they know they're getting a focus on them in some different ways. We have a, we'll have a roadmap for them. We're not going to let people talk about price and stuff on the Discord. Uh, like we'll send them elsewhere. Some people won't like that. I don't care. We have to keep the community positive. And so we'll be building stuff for them, but really we see them as our backers. Mm. And I think if you see them as your backers and not just people who are traders and you, you kind of talk to them in that way and all your messaging is like that, you, of course you want people trading. That's fine. But I think it'll hopefully create the right impression. And yeah, we don't know what will happen with price. That's not our focus, but they will see themselves as a backer of the game and they'll get those rules. They'll get the posters and the physicals. And we won't be forced into a situation where nothing is happening and they can't do anything and they're just waiting and begging and going, what, how, how are we going to get the price up? How are we going to do stuff? Because we'll have said right from the start, here's a roadmap. Here's like some mystery points where we'll reveal later what we'll do. This is how it's going to work. You are our backers. You always have the VIP version of the game, like the premium edition of the game. And this is the, actually the only way to do secondary game sales, I think, using crypto, is to sell a limited number of special editions. And if you think about it, 
a backer pass of a few thousand backer passes and then say 10,000 characters. That's 15,000 or 12,000 special editions of the game that can be sold and sold and sold and sold. And we'll earn a royalty from that maybe, but that's it. That's fine because they were our backers. That's how special edition games should be done. That's how crypto can work well. And it also doesn't interfere with gamers. That's the theory. We're still we're doing the details. That's what we'd like to be able to do. Will NFT people go for it? I don't know, but I would say that you're not getting anything different from what you've got elsewhere, except we actually have a game that's good and fun and you can play right now. And that's already built out. Yeah. yeah. And we have a, we have a roadmap. Uh, and so, and you can, so you can use your thing, your, your character straight away and they're all really cool. Uh, and you'll have some rights to the character and we'll, we'll let, might let you build around it as well. We might release some code for it. Um, and you're still getting a PFP. Like you can down, you can save a PFP image of the character and all this kind of stuff. So you're getting everything you had, but you're not spending it to let people get started on what comes next. Actually, we already know exactly what's coming next. You're just back, you're you're backing us for the final stage, which is typically typically how Kickstarters work these days. Mm-hmm. You're not backing the first stage of an NFT project. Right. You're providing the marketing support and financial support for the last bit of the project, so you know what you're getting. That's the idea. It's super interesting. I mean, you know, we do a lot of work together, and I didn't even know the extent to to to, to those plans. So I, I think it's really exciting to hear it even firsthand on the on the show. More broadly, gaming and blockchains. You mentioned that you, you held the first talk about uh, blockchains in gaming at um, a gaming convention in San Francisco. How has your thesis on those two worlds intersecting changed since then? And what do you think about it now? Like everyone keeps saying either, you know, gaming and NFTs or gaming and blockchains are, are a fad or this is going to be the future and where it goes mainstream. Um, so I used to think gaming was where it would go mainstream. I'm not so sure now. So I missed that. Like I always predicted digital art. Uh, I missed that art was just much quicker to do than games, actually. It was, it was obvious <laughs> in hindsight, but these things are. So games take a long time to make. We don't yet know how they're best going to work for gamers. Plus the game industry massively kicked back, sometimes for good reason and sometimes for bad reason. I think that the fact that there was that massive kickback has really, really hurt things and has set things back years, not, not months. It set things back years. Also, the fact that the early successful games were things like Axie Infinity, which were extremely financially motivated. Um, I think that was not a good thing and nothing against Axie. I was an investor, but I think that those, that that got so heavily promoted to gamers was a real negative because gamers don't want, if you gamers hear like, uh, you know, play to earn, it just sounds like work and no one wants to hear that, even if it's not quite how it works. I've always been most interested in NFTs as cosmetics, actually, um, rather than anything else. And I still think NFTs as cosmetics and as free gifts from brands, I think that's still where the power is. I also think um, the way a lot of the way a lot of crypto people, including you know, NFT owners, speak about NFTs to game developers is really wrong. Uh, I am a game developer, so I know when I'm being told, you know, told to suck eggs. So, for example, I want my NFTs to be usable in multiple games. Yeah, like that can work but not how you think. It's not going to be Magic Sword in five different games for all sorts of reasons, technical, visual, business. Whereas if Nike released some sneakers, uh, physical sneakers, and you get an NFT with those sneakers, Nike can go and do a deal with EA to do something in FIFA and endless other games for, for, for perks. And if you think about it, more as my NFTs give me perks in multiple games, not there are Magic Sword in multiple games, and my NFTs are given to me by brands and it's sponsored deals, Makes way more sense. Like Red Bull give away NFTs. I mean, bands can give away NFTs. I mean, they might, some of them might be bought, some of them might be given away. But, and then if I'm making a game, I will want to attract Red Bull NFT owners to my game. So I'll do something. Red Bull will do a deal with someone. So to get like a, so in Clodhoppers, for example, we would do, we definitely for floor, I say definitely if you're nice to us, obviously, 
Um, but you, do, you put, let me on for floor. We could do if you own a floor NFT, we'll give you a floor T-shirt. Like it's not an Quite NFT, but, yeah. yeah, yeah. But in, you, if you play Clodhoppers, give us your wallet address. We will see that you own a floor NFT, and we've gone and been with you. Where we've just done a hat, or and mm. you just see in your inventory special in your special items, you'll see a floor hat. And if mm. you sell your floor NFT, you'll lose your special floor hat. That's how it'll work. So that's actually a really easy example of where there's it's a, a no-brainer. And although best word in the world between us and floor, we're not going to suddenly go mainstream. But when Nike do that kind of thing, when Red Bull do that kind of thing, and this starts combining with Reddit avatars, which are obviously NFTs as well, and people don't even realize they're NFTs, that's when it will go mainstream. Unless someone like Fortnite does it and does it really, really well, I think it's going to be quite a subtle thing. And suddenly it's just going to switch when... People realize, oh, yeah, I really like that. I want, why can't I trade this? Why can't I have that? Why am I not getting these freebies? It would come an expectation. So I think games will be part of mainstreaming stuff. Um, but I think we've got some quite a few issues to solve before we get there. Just to jump on that, I mean, a couple of things really stand out to me there. Everything you've talked about has been not in a bad way, but talked about in, in very simple terms. And I think uh, over this last NFT wave, we got into uh, normalizing like over complexity of of like concepts and making them really really niche and only for crypto people and we've seen like all the examples you gave there with clodhoppers and making it quite light and uh, a backer thing that people have some sort of analogy to in terms of kickstarter and also the examples you gave with brands interoperating uh, with with games and uh, over, over various things i think makes a ton of sense um on, on the other side of things, when you see Final Fantasy creators Square Enix saying that they're going to create blockchain games, I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Like, what do you instinctively think when you see big news like that? I mean, I think it's really good. And I think that at this point in time, they've now learned what not to do. Some of the things they got wrong, like these companies got, big companies got wrong, was very obviously wrong. And I know from discussions that that was partly enforced from internal legal requirements, for example. But um, it is what it is. I think we've now got enough experience to know what, like, don't do certain things. Don't try, and, don't do anything that's going to aggravate your gamers. Be, be very careful with communication. Don't try and do stuff that's financially motivated. Uh, all, the, all the people doing those kind of play to earn ripoffs, they're just going to get, like, all that invested money is going to go to zero. Like, it just is. Then I'm not saying there won't be a few successful ones, but like, they're really hard to pull off. No one ever knew if it could be, could be sustainable. Um, managing those economies is difficult. They could, but where companies are looking at it and they're going, just doing the simple stuff, you know, doing PO-apps as essentially achievements, giving away some NFTs that just represent something, doing backer NFTs, which is our way of doing things. Even if we're still targeting a crypto audience, like that's just because of a timing thing. It'd be really nice if we could just use Kickstarter and do exactly the same, but we can't because we're not allowed to. But I would love to. I'd love to do, like, there is no reason that what we're, do, what our concept we shouldn't allow people who back us on Kickstarter to get those NFTs and do exactly the same. We're prevented to by Kickstarter and by regulation. But when you think about it, that's dumb because these are ideas that everyone already knows. They're comfortable with it. They just get a better deal. Uh, like it's, it's that straightforward. I was in the Kickstarter campaign for the Oculus Rift, the first mm. one, and then sold to Facebook, now Meta. And all of us were like, so we funded you to get funded by, or to get bought out by Facebook and get rich and we don't get rich. Um, like, and it was aggravating. And in the end, we got like a nice kit out of it and that was great. I sold and made some money out of that. Uh, I think I got the kit a day later, sold it for a double. Um, but the point was, 
if that had been an NFT that represented the fact that I was in the Kickstarter, like there's no doubt those NFTs would have gone up in money, up in price. Instead, we had to wait for the hardware, and the hardware had gone up in price. So it's still the same, but much messier, much higher friction and lower value. And I'm like, no, we should be able to do this as a Kickstarter. Also, and this is where it benefits consumers, if you put money into a Kickstarter, you probably can always sell that Kickstarter thing. So yes, you might want to have for regulatory reasons, you can't sell it for the first six months to stop flippers. And then you might want that anyway. But don't you feel that there's something actually beneficial to consumers who, you know, the game isn't coming out, they're getting frustrated. Well, at least I can claim some money back because the company aren't going to give me the money back, but I'll find someone who will. Absolutely, you should let people do that. Why the hell not? Um, because the, because the core concept is no different to what we have now. Having an NFT character is no different to what we have now. I just can't trade it in any way. So you're just giving people more options. But I do think where we have to be wary is anywhere that you can transfer for money, uh, there will be people who get conned. There will be people who buy up the market and, you know, damage the market. There'll be insider trading. So I do think we have to think about protections for people. Uh, going forwards, so I don't. I don't think we can go into it without our eyes open. But these concepts are far easier to understand and already exist in things like trading card communities, certain DeFi concepts, than some of these currencies that get really complicated with with economies that do this and absolutely crater. Like people understand game currencies, but cryptocurrencies are a different beast. And so, I think people who are taking these this free and easy NFT route are doing it the right way for regular gamers and probably best not quitting the NFTs. But even within Clodhoppers, like I'd love to give regular players some NFTs. We will not touch it. We decided we are not going to touch that until we know the game is working, our NFT owners are okay, our gamers are there, and we can like decide from the audience if they want to have a collectible. And we'll still probably start it if we even do it at all by giving them a free collectible if they want to claim it. And all we would do is we would get like, give them a wallet or point them out to where they get a wallet and they press a claim button, they'll get something for free. We'll do a limited number of them and see how they respond. That's all we could do. We would definitely, definitely not sell anything to gamers that is anything to do with crypto at all, ever. It's not worth it. Do you think if NFTs had taken a slightly different path and had predominantly started in a use case like this and not in a speculative trading, like flipping and making money use case, that it would be easier for a broader audience in gaming or just in general to get on board? Um, I think so, but I also think inevitably you're very early in that stage, you're going to have that collecting and flipping and trading. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think you had to go through that to uh, understand the bad points. The other thing to be aware of is that in the game industry, you know, there's a set of gamers and, and a lot of press who still don't even accept free to play. I still get people coming to us going, please don't do free to play on your game. It's a terrible model. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, hold on. The game is free. Like I don't like to make, I don't want to make pure free-to-play games. It doesn't, because it affects the design a bit and the economy. Mm. It's not where I want to spend my time. Mm. But like, the free-to-play utterly dominates games in terms of uh, revenue. Absolutely dominates, plus subscriptions as well of sorts. And so you've got this, this, this audience of journalists and the press push this a lot who complain about it. I'm like, no, it's the, like the audience has spoken. They all, they, they, they don't buy premium stuff. It's a terrible thing for me. I like premium games. They don't buy the premium stuff. They go for the free-to-play stuff. That's it. Get over it. Move on. Then it's the same people who then claim, complain about NFTs. Mm. If gamers start going for them, it becomes much, much easier. It started on the wrong foot. There are going to be people, especially some press, who hate NFTs in any way, shape or form, and they will be irrational about it. They will stay being irrational about it, even if they get really, really popular. And I think that irrationality would have existed even if we'd started on a better footing and without the environment issues. I think 
anytime you get some new model, especially where there's any kind of financial aspect, which is inevitable because it's a new model, people will complain. If arcade machines from like the 70s and 80s came out now, people would complain. How dare it cost me 10p per life or 20p for only three lives? It's disgusting. This one's 50p. It's a disgrace. They're just ripping us off. That's exactly what it would be. And so mm -hmm. you just have to get over it. But we do have to be fair. There are some good points that were made. I didn't agree with all the environmental ones, but there were some, were some points there. We definitely have to be careful, be careful about financialization of game assets. Cannot screw your economy. Cannot be pay, pay to win, at least in Western, the Western world, we don't like it. Has to be easy to understand. And I think we have to prove by doing things very slowly and gently and just seeing where it goes. And, and doing it so it's, I think obfuscating away, like hiding away that it's an NFT, genuinely is the way to go. If we mm -hmm. do some stuff that are NFTs for our players, it's going to be so subtle and right. it's going to be like a free thing. And the we'll right let approach. them work out what you can do. Because if they yeah. start going, oh, wow, I've got this free thing. It's worth like $10 or $5. That's perfect. All of a sudden they that's love it. Yeah. 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 That's what you want. Because yeah. no, not been pushed to them. We've not sold it to them. We just gave it to them. And then you can sort of build up carefully from there. Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting. And I wanted to just piggyback on that. Um, this time's flying, I just realized. But like, you're obviously, you know, investing, building, collecting, and creating this space across so many different verticals, right? Um, gaming's just one aspect of, of the, of your interest. Where do you think NFTs as a whole have to improve to really become, you know, at the, at this kind of intersection of culture and digital across, you know, not just gaming, but also fashion and sport and entertainment in general and music? Where do I think they need to improve? Uh, the user experience. Uh, I mean, this comes down to wallet infrastructure, uh, ease of use and credit cards, that kind of stuff, security. And no one, no one's going to buy into a system where you're getting robbed all the time. Why would you buy into something where it's really hard, where you're, all you're hearing about is thefts? Until yeah. we stop hearing about thefts, it ain't going mainstream. We need products, not tools. But it's, it's all, it's a sort of all combined, but yes, you've got to have, you've got to basically, I mean, if I'm really honest, I don't like saying this. I've got an iPhone. On my iPhone, I need Apple to have a crypto wallet. And that crypto wallet needs to be the type of wallet where they protect me from theft. End of mm -hmm. story. That's it. And I can just use my Apple wallet with it. Until we have that, I don't think we can go mainstream. I, do, I just don't think it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about that in, in the future section. But the last thing I wanted to touch on, and probably something that is stopping uh, mainstreaming to some extent, or is, is at least making it a lot more friction full for collectors and traders right now in the space is, is kind of the, the royalty wars that are going on and, and marketplaces. You, you've got a, a fair few opinions on this. You've written about it. You've spoken about it. So what's your overall take on, on what's going on right now in, in, within royalties in the NFT market? Well, I saw that OpenSea have changed their plans again to something slightly more sensible. That was the first thing. Cutting royalties, like trying to avoid royalties, I, can, I, I don't blame any individual. Like we would all try and get the best deal. Uh, like, so very, very important. No individual trader gets any blame whatsoever for doing a deal where they're cutting out royalties, whether it's on a marketplace or privately. Like I'm not, that's really important to point, point out. But as a general ecosystem, it's hugely damaging to be taking out royalties because where do they think the money from, the money is going to come from to iterate these uh, NFTs? And it's not just that. And also, artists deserve to earn royalties from resales. Like, this is, this is established in, it's enshrined in law in many territories that they can earn royalties, even if the rules are a bit different within NFTs. 
one of the big sales points about NFTs is that we can track everything super clearly. We can put, we can make these things easy. Allowing traders to profit from trading and not the creators is ethically wrong and extremely short-sighted. So marketplaces enabling that is dumb and they're only doing it because they're trying to get the business for themselves. Um, I understand why they're doing it. I, I do get it, but it is short-sighted. If you do it, what you're actually doing is you're killing, you're, you're killing the golden cow. Because what's going to happen with the products? They've got to continue making money. And I can tell you, those NFT holders don't want you selling more content to them constantly. They want more free stuff. Uh, and those royalties are super important, either for a brand to be able to you know, further invest, uh, irrespective of whether they've sold their NFTs for $100,000 or $2 million, and for an artist to make a living. Like it's, You're literally stealing someone's living when, you, when you're doing it as a marketplace. So not, it's not about individual traders. Marketplaces. So for me, default settings are very important. The default should be the royalties are required to be paid on this marketplace for these items. If the if the marketplace wants to include an option to let the user opt out, I'm okay with that. But I think the artist or brand should have a trivial way of, of signing into that marketplace and going, I do not allow this opt-out. Because what you're doing then is you're putting it in the hands of the artist or the, you know, the creator. And you're giving power to the trader for if the creator doesn't care that much, then they can just opt out. That's fine. So I think, but the default should be you pay the royalties, but a user cannot, but a trader can opt out. And I think that is the best way to do it. Uh, that's, that's the best of the, of all worlds. I know, like I sit there and calculate, I, I know pets help with this, calculate what can be made from secondary sales. It makes a very significant difference to business. It's not trivial. It really isn't trivial. And you can't, you have to make that money back somewhere. If you're not making on royalties, you're going to have to be selling something else or you're going to have to raise all your prices or whatever happens to be. So, and, and people just don't see this because it's, as I said, it's, um, I, can't, I can't remember the correct phrase, but essentially you're, you're just damaging the whole industry to save a few bucks on a trade. Yeah. It's, it's, it's turkeys asking for Christmas. I think that's the phrase here. It's, it's, not, it's not quite turkeys asking for Christmas. Um, there, it's a different phrase. It's, it's basically where it's like the environmental issue. We'll all gradually just destroy the environment uh, because, you know, none of us really want to pay for it. And then we're all going to suffer the consequences when it's too late. Yeah. That's actually how it is. I think defaults are so strong. And I heard this idea of like, also, if we just publish and make it really transparent of like, who is paying the most royalties and who isn't? So that like, individuals who are, you know, trading a lot in a project and not paying royalties, like, it's on the blockchain. It's transparent. Like, we can actually say, this is what's happening. And like, we're all adults. You can make your own decisions, but like people can see. I think that could also be powerful. Yeah, I know. I, I think that. So I, I've always been at pains to, to not blame individual traders. I've, I've traded without royalties once or twice, like in private mm -hmm. sales. I've done it without royalties, and I think yeah, I said it happens in the art world as well. I, I don't want to create a problem for individuals. That said, I think like I don't like things that are negative because that would always cause a reaction. So that's why I said the default should be: you pay royalties, you can opt out. But an artist can do not, can remove the opt out option because every option, mm -hmm. everything there is a positive action. There's no, there can be no complaint from any party about those actions. Second thing is with regard to publishing who is paying royalties as individuals and marketplaces. I think that's okay, but you have to be very, very careful. What I would like to be able to do is go, if you want to pay royalties, that's fine, but I have, I reserve the right to not allow you on my whitelist or wallets associated with you mm -hmm. that, that say you've associated on different platforms, there will always be people who can get out of that because you just use another wallet. But I, but I do think that that's a valid thing as well. So I think, but I think the way to do it is not about who's not paying royalties, it's about who is paying royalties because it's not negative, it's positive. Who are the top royalty paying wallet wallets? 
you can be whitelisted because you're paying royalties. That's it. You've paid royalties for artifacts, or you've so you've got own a floor token, but you've never played any floor royalties. You don't get on the whitelist. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. That is that's a positive action. So so if I buy a floor NFT, I want to know that I am paying a royalty within that transaction. Because if I don't pay a royalty, I am seen as a lesser floor owner. Mm. That matters. I I think you know if we think about NFTs bringing power back to the creator. I think some of those things make sense. I mean, there's been a lot of chat on uh, about kind of uh, on-chain royalties. I think uh, there's lots been lots of good threads about like why that's really really difficult. So there's going to be a, a variety of things I think that, that that end up helping creators in these situations. Yeah, I, I certainly think that um, always consider things as positive actions. Don't try and be negative about people. Don't try and put people down. Don't try and tell them they're doing it wrong. I don't mind doing it on a corporate level. But even then, I understand why the companies are doing what what they're doing. Like they're just trying to look after themselves. It's their it's their, it's their mm-hmm. business. But I just think there's another way to do things. Um, I mean, OpenSea, you know, they tried to do it to make people pay royalties, but they tried to do it in a really awful way, which actually was very monopolistic and was trying to force creators to make choices. It's a terrible idea. Take po- positive actions are much much harder to you know, avoid or much much harder to criticize, and they're much easier to defend. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there are plenty of positive actions we can do. I especially think that in, in the case of whitelists, people want to be on whitelists. People want to get exclusive drops. And I think what we could could do is try and find a way to, you know, to track or record or, or, or document or provide a power app to accounts which are paid a certain amount of royalties every quarter. Mm. Like let's let's rank them. How many royalties are they paid versus how many entities? There must be a ranking model we can do, or it could just be pure finances. And you can't get on the whitelist if you don't have if you don't have the power for that quarter. Like end of M- music to Chris Madden's ears, right? He keeps tweeting about like <laughs> royalty royalty rankings, which is quite funny. Um, but but I, it's, it is true though. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't yeah. seen his tweets, but now now I'll happily speak to him about it. But it, something like that is a really it's it's a positive model. It's like if you're a positive actor, you get rewarded. If you're a negative actor, I don't care. I'm not I'm not not dealing with you, so it's it's fine. Positive actors, positive actions. They all get rewarded. Makes total sense. Uh, let's move on to the future. But before we do, I just need to remind you that we're a community-led podcast by the NFT uh, app community. And if you don't know what Floor is, it's your very own NFT portfolio in your pocket, an app that aggregates all your NFTs into one amazing interface. Um, uh, let's talk about the future, Alex. How's that? Um, pet, pet, I don't know what Floor is. Oh, it's, it's an app that aggregates all your NFTs into one amazing interface. Uh, Actually, I do know what Floor is because I... Well, I, I will reveal, I, I did go to DNA with some of the floor crowd at one point, and we were like, all right, let's just look at what NFTs I've got. I loaded the app up, and I've used the app. The app is great. Loaded the app up. Chris, it's not working. <laughs> Chris is like, what? Your wallet broke our app. Yeah, it's not working. It's like, well, we've, broke, we've taken it all down. No one's around. Bro- I think my wallet may or may not have broken the app at the time. It's working today. I checked it today. It's, it's, it's a very negative portfolio right now. <laughs> yeah, not, not always fun to check, but right. can you do something useful. about that, Christine? <laughs> devs, can do the devs do something. It is a great app, but um, I'm sorry for breaking it. Uh, sorry, yeah. Pat, carry on. No, no, no. No, I think you've done a, a, a better job of explaining it than myself. Um, the future. Let's talk about it for a second. Um, uh, key trends that you see emerging in the NFT space in like the next year and then a bit further out, like two to five years time just as with soul cost actually customization it's, it's just going to be a bigger and bigger thing and we've got to explore the, the ways that are going to work and aren't going to work and i think genuinely that is the biggest thing 
and uh, dealing with um, fraud and hacks. Uh, we're definitely seeing several projects now, uh, whether it's uh, having secondary wallets that you can use that are safer than your vaults, things looking at your smart, at the smart contracts you're interacting with before you do the interaction uh, to catch those out. All these types of things are coming in, which is going to make it, you know, going to make things safer for people uh, and, and provide more engagement. And I think those two things are the, they're the, they're the trends I'm liking uh, going forward, I have to say. Yeah, I'm a big fan of this co-creation idea and the customization idea. I mean, what um, Nike are doing with uh, .swoosh, I think is really interesting, right? Like the ability to, you know, back when I was a kid, you could do like Nike ID, right? And everyone thought that was really, really cool when I was like 12 or 13. And what do you mean when you were 12 or 13? You're only 14 <laughs> now. Yeah, a year ago when I was when I was 13, it was really interesting. But like, it was it was great, but it wasn't very scalable, right? Um, but I guess with NFTs now, you can really condense that feedback loop from creator to customer or creator to fan or whatever it may be. And because people are like customizing things, as you said on Soulcast, uh, digitally on a browser, and maybe there's a wearable attached to it or a physical attached to it, I think that's really, really powerful and can definitely if not completely change business models, definitely alter them to the, to the point where it's a, it's a real central point for businesses. Now, actually, let me interview you, Pat. What key trends do you see emerging in uh, the NFT space in 2023? Because <laughs> you're, you're good right. at this. But yeah, you're right. You are, you are right. And I think uh, I'm not making a joke out of Pet because Pet's bloody good, actually. And Pet, you do, a, I'm just going to emphasize Pet now. Pet does a brilliant mail shot about sports NFTs. And sports NFTs are a fantastic example of where uh, it'd be really good to see some co-creation going on between brands that people are fans of and players. Um, and I think there's a lot more to do there because so far it's been very much push uh, and not a lot of pull or interaction. Uh, and push mechanics are great until people get bored because like they can't do much with that. So, you know, sell me a, sell me a digital football shirt where I can decorate it with like my Fuocious NFTs or, or another sports fan that I like and then let me go and use that in a game somewhere or in a virtual world. I'd love to see more of that stuff. Obviously, some of it we can't do because of the game side, but yeah, I think that there is a lot of future in co-creation. There is a lot of future in remixing uh, and creating more engaging, engaging products. So yeah, I, I think you know, this is the stuff that now that the market has cooled down, I think it's the ideal time to explore what actually is engaging because otherwise, what everyone was trying to do was, I need to get this NFT drop out fast because like, I've got to make the money. Now it's like, if we're going to have to really think about this and we've got to, we've got to have a sustainable roadmap and a run, like enough financial runway to explore this area. So now people will experiment more. They'll find what does work and what doesn't work. That's much better than everyone just throwing out another NFT drop. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of NFT fashion, but I've, I have felt for quite a long time that everyone's running in and trying to say, yeah, we're going to be using the virtual world. Like which virtual world? How are you going to do that? What are all the technical what, issues? Are you, are you saying the digital Coca-Cola jacket that I brought? That can only be used in Decentraland isn't going to be useful forever. I'm saying, I'm saying. Oh, here's an example, actually, of where this stuff sh- has to has to come together. In Clodhoppers, if we know about the digital Coca-Cola jacket you can de- use in Decentraland, and we've got a nice, easy way that Coca-Cola has set up for us to take that logo and use it legitimately, uh, you know, not break any licenses within Clodhoppers, we could then say, "Hey, all you Coca-Cola Decentraland jacket holders, we're going to give you the same jacket in Clodhoppers. Uh, we'll remodel it. We'll like we'll take care of the tech stuff." But to do that, you've got to understand, you've got to be open with your license and it's got to be very, very clear how the license works. You've got to be transparent that we can use the logo and you've got to allow us to market based on that fact. If you are the ones that are always having to create the content, so Coca-Cola create a jacket, it's got to be used in Decentraland and it's got to be used in Sandbox and whatever. 
If you're in charge of creating that content, you're making a rod for your own back. That's not the right way to do it. Create an open license agreement which allows content to be like remixed in Soulcast style, <laughs> uh, used, with, used within games, because it's still another form of remixing. Used within games, like we can create something for the Coca-Cola checkholders that includes the Coca-Cola thing, because the license says as long as you're not doing anything, you know, that features Nazi sim- sim- symbols or whatever, and we and Coca-Cola reserve the right to tell you to remove it, that's all fine. Give the perks to the users and make it easy for creators to incorporate those NFTs as fashion accessories. Don't make it hard and don't try and do it all yourself because it's never going to work. It just isn't. And you mentioned Soulcast again. I'm going to give you a bit more of a, a platform to talk about that a bit more. Um, when when you talk about kind of the interoperability, interoperability aspect um, and you see all these big NFT brands partnering with music labels and raising money and like really focusing on their siloed product and IP, which makes total sense, by the way. Like, I'm, I'm not saying if you are, you know, the Doodles founders, you, you should be thinking about anything other than like, you know, making a functioning business and trying to add value to your NFT holders. I, I want you to talk a bit more about like the sustainability of NFT businesses in, in, in general and how you think what you're building might, might help there. Yeah. So I think one of the problems for NFT projects, um, what do you do after the first drop? Now, obviously, everyone has ideas. Ah, oh, we'll give you a Discord channel. We'll do, we'll set up some merchandising for you that you still got to probably pay for. We're going to make a game. That's the classic one. We're going to make a game. Okay. It's very hard to make a game for the most part. That's like we've been doing it years. It's hard. And so in reality, we also know that most projects, vast majority of projects, like the vast majority of startups will fail. They'll take the money. They're not taking the money and running. They take, which people think they're taking the money and trying to make a business and it doesn't work. That's, that's just the reality of life, sadly. And we're seeing some NFT products gradually dropping by the wayside as that happens. But there is benefit to NFTs because they, they survive that company. And sometimes they get picked up by the community again, uh, and, and continued. And especially if that company has done it in the right way to make sure the community can do that. Now, if you can take those NFTs and continue engaging with them, even when the company is gone, because in our, you know, in our particular case, you can keep using the, the badges and the stickers from them. Or you can keep decorating up the, the, the trainers. You may be able to use them as an AR filter, VR filter. You may have the rights to go and make a game around them. Those NFTs will survive the company. So they have, they you can have increased engagement whilst the company exists. They can keep releasing new content uh, and they can survive the company even if the company don't exist. So taking the form of, because obviously we always hope the company will be successful. If you release, uh, let's say you release a spaceship as uh, on Soulcast. That spaceship could be really, really cool, futuristic. You could customize it with weapons and with skins and with cargo bays, you know, to play you know, one of these space trading games. But actually, the company that sold those spaceships, what they did was a pre-sale. There was like a Kickstarter campaign for spaceships. And they're going, right, we'll sell the spaceships. Then we're going to make a prototype of the game. Then we're going to raise finance and make a full space trading game. So you've got those spaceships. Meanwhile, like those spaceships, just customizing them could be quite cool. Uh, that could be quite fun in its own right. Having the models available could mean people could create little little test games or little shoot 'em ups Who knows? Uh, the space trading company, the one that sold the NFTs, they could then release more skins for those spaceships for very little effort. And you could just be using the Soulcast tools to decorate them up and share them around. Or even take your uh, the logo for your clan or your guild that they've released and go and use that on a football t-shirt that, say, Nike have just released. That'd be really, really cool. So Space Trading Co. can release more and more content for customizing their spaceships, and then they can release stuff to customize like your guild or your weapons or some particular facet of the game, or even your planet or buildings. 
Um, they can do that. They don't have to do lots of work for it. They're just creating content because the editing features already exist. The trading features already exist. The attributes, like the traits, like this is a, this has a cargo bolt, cargo bay that holds six weapons. They can build that into the, the, the way soul cost works. And they can give rights to the users once they've customized things to use those stuff outside of the game if they want to. And when the game is ready or a prototype is ready, the user can take that customized space and put it into the game with all the stuff they've got so they can get really excited by it. So very cheaply, they can do a whole lot more right from the very start. Whereas traditionally, and we've seen this with certain space trading games that shall remain nameless, you're literally buying a spaceship, you can't do anything with it. It's just a piece of paper or an image. Like, and by an image, I mean a static image. That's it. One's a lot better than the other. And it could be a spaceship. It could be a game character. It could be a sneaker that comes out before the physical sneakers. It could be a backpack. It could be a skateboard, whether it's physical or for a game or whatever. It could actually also just be a piece of art. Nothing wrong with that. A pure piece of art where, again, the artist can release more and more content. And you can get to use them with AR filters, or you can just own them, but you can customize them. And so the artist in this particular case, they can release a 3D model or a 2D model. We do 2D and 3D. And then they can release more and more cosmetics for it in different ways. And then they can release another part of the same collection, but that's a different item. So it could start with skateboards, then it could actually go to backpacks, but then it become cars. And they could just be pure 3D artworks where people, where the entire game is about uh, doing a really cool looking car uh, or doing a Halloween themed car or creating a, or trading enough to complete a set. And maybe someone again could actually then create like a top Trump style trading game or collecting game. Uh, based around like what you own. But by having these kind of, this kind of, uh, customizing functionality with gamification associated, it opens the doors to creativity and engagement that can, that the company can use from day one and that can outlast the company. Right now, all the pressure is on the company to build everything. That shouldn't be the case. We need to give the community more. We need to let them build stuff. And we also need to give more tools to the company to, to, to build this stuff as well. That's really well said. I know we're, we're running out of time, but we do four quick fire questions at the end of every show. If you've got, if you've got time for it, if you've not got a cat to feed or whatever. Um, I've got, cat here has been, been very, very quiet. Um, this, this won't last. <laughs> okay. So, let's get on with she's still quickly. suffering. Like she had, she had three teeth out yesterday. She's oh. not a very happy cat. Oh man. Um, so, yeah, well. so I think she's just sleeping off anesthetic and painkillers right now. Mm-hmm. Well, hope, hope she gets better very soon. Do you hear that, Reeves? Can't, can't wait to post uh, Soulcast and um, and Cloud Hopper's NFTs in the DJN dungeon in 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 the four Discord. <laughs> I, can't, I can't get over that. I can't see it. <laughs> um, because I'm I'm sure they'll they'll love seeing that stuff. Um, four quick fire questions, sixty ish seconds each. What do you think people are wrong about now that they're investing too much time in? Like, what is being hyped up way too much that in three years' time will be like, oh, that's that's not that great. I don't know, but it's not that great. I think fashion stuff, which I've invested in, is being overhyped right now. Um, we're not ready for it, and we don't have the right models. Uh, it, it will be a thing, but like I told you, at the moment I'm seeing fashion stuff, people saying, well, oh, we're going to build, and then you can use it in this platform or that platform, or you can't use it anywhere, and you can't customize it. Like, we're doing customization. Like, it just goes nowhere, and I don't think they're really, they don't think they've got a clear vision for how this stuff has to be created. Soulcast came from being a fashion project, because we realize you've got to be able to do more. Where do you think internet giants like Apple and Google fit into the NFT world? Uh, we absolutely need them to support NFTs and crypto generally through wallet infrastructure and security. I don't think we can succeed without them. You chat with a lot of Web3 projects on a monthly basis, giving them advice, catching up. What is the most common theme of advice that you're sharing with creators and project founders today? 
Uh, I'm constantly being asked how to sell to anyone because no one's buying for a mm-hmm. lot of projects and artists. I can't answer that because I will have the same problem. The advice that I've given most often in the past and now is treasury management. And that's, that mm-hmm. goes for an individual artist, like cash out your crypto and pay your taxes, which a lot of people thank me for, uh, especially as they think crypto always goes up. Uh, and I was on a call yesterday to someone I know well, who's quite well known in the space. I won't name them, but I advise them to cash out whilst crypto is high because like otherwise they weren't going to have money. They did. Yes, they, the second time they said, thank you very much. Cause like that would have been really bad. Now I'm happy and it's all good. <laughs> Wish I cashed out more. That was a learning from when I got stuff wrong myself. Mm. You ne- you can never cash out too much when you're in profit, basically. Keep some in, always keep some in, but you should, you should make sure you take the profits. But for companies, treasury management, don't leave your money on exchanges. Don't leave your money in risky DeFi projects. Don't leave your money in risky tokens. We have seen that go so wrong in the last three months. So yeah. many projects I'm in, I've lost a third to two thirds of their treasury through FTX or through the um, Luna failure. That Luna was unfortunate in fairness. I mean, it was a, it was a bad design, but it was a bit unfortunate for projects that lost out in that, but there is no excuse for some of the other treasury management we've seen. They should, they should be keeping always, I've always said back in 2016, when we were doing stuff, if you've got the money, two years runway in USD. Yeah. Two years yeah. runway you need in crypto. And at least, if not three years, ideally three years runway, but you can afford to take some crypto risk. It just takes that long to get things done. Sorry, I was going to say on the other, one other point. I had an email from an investment I'd made talking about their, their monthly expenditure, it was well into six figures for something that should not be in six figures, probably at all, but certainly very low six figures. Uh, so for, for, lo- for projects who, who have employees and staff, watch your expenditure because it's going to be a quiet couple of years. So you've got to manage your investments very, very carefully, have a really good core team uh, and go streamline until, you, until you've got product market fit and don't expand until then. Yeah. Um, and if you weren't creating games or working in crypto, what would you be doing? Uh, currently uh, riding an e-scooter because I've just ordered my third. I've ordered a third fancy e-scooter pet. It's going to be a beast. It's going off-road. It goes about 60 miles an hour. What? Uh, what? It's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to this. I'm, I'm not going that fast on it. I'll kill myself. But I, am I was going to say, like, wear three helmets. No, no, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be going anywhere near that fast, but I'm looking forward to just going off-road and just enjoying it. Um, and investment-wise and project-wise, um, I have invested in AI space. I would be spending time in the AI space mm. uh, and also environmental space. Uh, very passionate about the environment. Um, that's why I got annoyed about crypto and environmental issues because people just got it all so wrong. So I'd be doing probably a mix of those two things, more more, more sort of charitable endeavors, I suspect. Mm. Very noble of you. Um, just as long as you survive long enough to do those endeavors. Uh, Pat, what are you saying? Well, no, I'm not saying that's not an age thing. It's more of a dangerous scooter thing. Um, <laughs> I do tend to break things quite a lot uh, myself. Uh, and I will no doubt break, break a bone scootering. Like it's just inevitable. Right. I, I, we've got to wrap up there because I'm sure everyone has uh, somewhere they need to be in. We're four minutes over the, our allotted time. Um, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. You can find us at The Floorcast on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Pet Berisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A. Um, Christine, where can people find you and Floor? On Twitter at Christine underscore Hall and at Floor. Yeah, come follow us. And Alex? Uh, you can find me Silichina on Twitter. That's just the best way to find me. Amazing. Um, if you haven't already subscribed, please do so. And if you haven't given us a rating on Spotify or on Apple, please also do that. None of what we have said is financial advice, just great advice. Um... <laughs> what? 
uh, let me add a new disclaimer. Everything that I've talked about is complete rubbish. Don't listen to a word that I've said. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Assume I know nothing. <laughs> Might have to start the show with that quote. Um, thank you very much everyone for listening. We'll have more floorcasts for you next week. Bye.